0: If we think about people who we think had grace in history, you know, Gandhi or MLK, uh, nobody would suggest that they weren't saying hard things, Mm -hmm. right? So it's not about rolling over and being a doormat and not confronting people at all. It's just, it's relying on other things like non-judgment, using Mm -hmm. boundaries.
1: Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox.
2: I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Living Centered podcast. Today, Lindsay and I are bringing you an interview with a repeat guest. You may have already heard from the incredibly brilliant Kirsten Powers on episode 10. She is a USA Today columnist, CNN political analyst, best-selling author, and as she shares, an on-site alumni. During this interview, Kirsten shares about her brand new book, Saving Grace, Speak Your Truth, Stay Centered, and Learn to Coexist with People Who Drive You Nuts. It's releasing this week, and I think that we all need it. During this interview, Kirsten shares how she even came to write a book about grace, what it means to her, and why this new definition is absolutely changing the way that she approaches the people in her life. I hope this conversation really encourages you to rethink grace, especially for yourself, and equips you with some practical ways to love, exist, and set boundaries with the people in your life. Without further ado, Kirsten Powers.
1: Hey, everybody. We are so excited to have our friend, Kirsten Powers, back with us today. I don't know if you got to listen to her earlier episode where we talked a lot about trauma and some of the work that Kirsten's done around trauma, but we're excited to have her back today to hear a little bit more about her book, Saving Grace, that's coming out this week. It is such an exciting book and so necessary in this time where our country feels so divided, and so I'm excited to dig in and hear more from Kirsten. Well, I'm excited to be here. So Kirsten, you named the book Saving Grace. And I think grace is one of those concepts that starts to lose its meaning. I know for me, that is something that like it's was a really hard concept to grasp, especially growing up in a religious environment that I've, you know, like done some work deconstructing and reconstructing (laughs) on, but I'd love to hear sort of uh, how did you choose Grace as the title of the book and what does that concept mean to you? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting.
0: I chose it basically because I had gotten to this point in early 2019 where I just kind of hit a wall uh, with, you know, all the sort of post 2016, rage and anger and sense of betrayal and all the things that I think a lot of people were feeling. And I just hit a wall and I wrote a column I write for USA Today and I wrote a column about how toxic our culture is and how really looking back over the past few years and even further back that I had contributed to that as well. Even though most people would say oh, you're so level headed and you're the voice of reason and all these things. The truth was I was that and Sometimes I was also really obnoxious and judgmental and uh, unforgiving and, and all these other things. So it really looking back now from where I'm sitting, it was an intuition when I said, I feel like our society needs more grace. Mm. Uh, we really don't cut each other slack. We really see the worst in people, we reduce people to these really one dimensional caricatures of who they are. If somebody's done something wrong, they get reduced completely to that one thing. They're nothing else. Yeah. And so it really was an intuition. And then um, an agent came to me and said, you know, you, you should turn this into a book. And I thought about it and I thought, yeah, I should. And so I ended up doing the book proposal. I sold the book, you know, I, but it wasn't until I actually started writing the book that I, I thought, what have I done? (laughs) Because I don't (laughs) want to give people race uh, because my understanding all when i really thought about it i was like this actually isn't what we need and so that caused me to really delve deep into what does this word actually mean and how has it been misused in our society that we yeah. have this kind of reaction to it right that it's that that we think it means being a doormat we think it means looking the other way when something wrong is happening and so the more i delved into it the more work i did on myself i really came to understand that we just had it completely wrong and it's, that is that is actually not what the word is, what the word means. Now, I did use the Christian paradigm of unmerited favor because yeah. I think it's a really good paradigm because when you think about it that way, you can't get into one of these games that I see. I saw almost everybody playing when I would bring this up, which is, well, I'll have grace for like the people who believe the way I believe when they mess up, so because like, we're the same. Yeah, well, they're the same, and they're they're coming from a good place. But for yeah. the other people, I won't have grace, and that's not unmerited favor, right? The point of grace is that you have it for people just because you see the humanity in them, you mm-hmm. see the dignity in them, you see maybe if you're a believer, you see the divinity in them, uh, and it doesn't—it's not based on anything they do. And so for me, when I really started embracing this idea, and we'll go into more of the specifics about how I was able to embrace it, yeah. um, that paradigm really was clarifying for me. And it it doesn't say anything about not standing up for yourself or not standing up for other people, not saying things that are true or any of those things.
1: I remember one of my first reframes for the word grace was when I attended On Sites Living Center program, actually. And Mm -hmm. I was like shocked at how willing people were to like express their truth and say the things that often get hidden and that people didn't just love them in spite of those things. They loved them because uh, the fullness of who they were showing up as themselves. And so I I thought that, yeah, that that it's so much bigger than I had defined it sort of growing up and wanting culture really to emanate the spaces that I found in programs and onsite where like, oh, that people are willing to see the messy parts of each other and love them, not just in spite of those, but because of those things as well.
0: Yeah, and I think another thing that's uh, that will reorient me when I don't feel like offering grace, which is yeah. a lot of the, time, <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and, of the time, yeah, is is the you know something that Brene Brown you know talks about a lot, and Maya Angelou really I think was the first person to really popularize the idea of just that people are doing the best they can mm-hmm. with what they have, and. It's really easy for us to sit and say well they need to do better and and maybe they do need to do better that might be true um, you probably need to do better also in some yeah. places and so I think it's a good time to maybe also look at yourself and make sure that you're not just projecting some of your stuff onto another person mm-hmm. but also remember that you know we're all the the product of our upbringing, of the families mm. we were born into, of the region we were born into, to the education that we received, to our socioeconomic status, to you know, all of these different things that we have absolutely no control over. So for us to act like, well, I'm just better than them because yeah. I'm just inherently better than them, like we we have to, we really have to develop humility. Um, and have humility about the fact that, to the extent we're getting it right, that has very little to do with something inherent about us, mm-hmm. yeah. right? So, so I think when you when you can put yourself in that and, and think like, okay, this person is doing the best they can, and sometimes that seems unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'll think like, is it really? You know, but but the truth is, they are because who's not? Who's not really? Like, is any person actually sitting there going, I think today I'm just going to be my worst self? Right. Yeah, I'm going to show up as my worst self. Yeah. yeah. I, I just don't think anybody's doing that. Now, they, that doesn't say people don't have bad intentions and do bad things or any of those things. But even in that situation, that person, that actually is the best the person can do. And, and they, they possibly can't even see what they're doing. Right. A lot of mm-hmm. times, I mean, you guys know this much more because you're in the, yeah. the psychology business, but all of, of how much of what we do is unconscious. Um, you know, and 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 you know, I talk a lot in the book about how our brains operate. Our brains are mm-hmm. always really working against us um, in the game of grace. <laughs> so you have to really become aware of all these different ways, whether it's confirmation bias or binary sorting or the different things our brains do to keep us safe. Um, how they really work against you having humility. They really work against you having grace for other people.
2: Mm. You talked about binary logic in the book, and I'd love for you to kind of talk a little bit more about that. And what do we think, like, the cost of that binary logic? While it is inherent in us, it's our brains, uh, (laughs) means to, like, make sure that we're, that we're safe and that it's, uh, saving energy and things like that. What is the cost of binary logic?
0: Well, I have to say, for me, it was enormous. And I do Mm. think it is it is also enormous in our culture and Mm. in interpersonal relationships. But in my personal life, it was so destructive that I I, it was one of the first things I think it's probably what even opened me up to be able to say the words we need more grace in this culture Mm. was that I had encountered Richard Rohr, who you know, talks all the time about this hyper dualism in our culture and really unlearning that. And for me, initially, it was around religion. Yeah. And and so when I was really having a hard time and I got to this place, which which today when I say it, it sounds bizarre, but it made total sense to me at the time, which was because I don't like the way so many Christians behave, I'm not, I guess I'm just not a Christian. I just can't do this. And. I I, there wasn't. Oh, maybe there's another way to be a Christian. (laughs) It was very black
2: or white to you. It was
0: very black or white. And of course, you see this a lot of times with people who start to deconstruct actually, and I think I did this and I uh, I was talking to another friend who's deconstructed and, and, and he did the same thing. You take the same thinking from a very binary system whether you know white evangelicalism or conservative catholicism i'll just talk about christianity because that's really the only thing that i know um and then you take that thinking and you apply it to and and you come up with being an atheist or like hating all christians or right it's there isn't uh okay let's let's try to see what what is what was good about this yeah. Uh, that I can integrate into my life and what doesn't work for me and I can find a way to do this and I don't have to be in this all or nothing place where where I really was believing well either you believe all of it the way they interpret it or you're just you don't believe anything mm-hmm. and again when I say this out loud I'm like this doesn't make any sense but to me at the time I couldn't think any other way it's the same logic that you absolutely yeah. yeah I just absolutely was convinced there were two choices and they were starkly Black and white. And so that was where I first started to unlearn this way of thinking and, you know, really learning to embrace mystery, learning to embrace not knowing, learning to embrace saying, I don't know, I don't know. And and that's okay. Uh, and, and so that had a radical change in my life. I think when I look at the debate that, debate, I use that word very loosely, because it's <laughs> that sort of is making it sound much better than it is. But the debate that sort of rage raging in our country, yeah. usually you watch people arguing very binary positions back and forth. And there's no ability to see outside of that. Right. It's now there are plenty of people in the country who, who think that way. They're just not the most active people, The right. people who are really dominating social media, for example, are very binary thinkers because that's I mean, I'm not saying they they I, I think they're drawn to it because they're binary thinkers and then they're rewarded for binary because nobody gets retweets and likes for uh, nuanced tweet, like that's not going to happen. Right. And mm-hmm. so it's so I think it's very dangerous. And that then even when I sometimes try to inject something where I say, well, you know, there is another way to see this or whatever people just, they don't want to a lot of times. And so um, I
1: think that it, it costs us a lot. What when you start to notice that you're like falling into that binary thinking, how do you begin to dismantle it? and see the nuance like I know it's like you really need to reprogram sort of how you think and how you approach things I know you mentioned curiosity but is there a process that you walk through when you realize that Oh, I'm sort of like making this an either or choice. And well, okay. So I'm an Enneagram eight also to complicate
0: things (laughs) for more.
1: So that the the challenger for those that don't know the
0: Enneagram. And you know, Enneagram eights under stress, which was my whole life until very recently, I'd say until the last couple of years, uh, they go into very binary thinking and, and as do most people who have been traumatized. And so I had a lot of trauma. And so for me, I had to deal with that trauma first. I I couldn't really get there without, you know, going to on site and and really healing some trauma around some deaths in my family um, that I really had never integrated or processed. And so I think that, you know, for some people, you're going to have to actually Do some work, do some emotional work, probably to get to the root of why you need to do that. Uh, You know, other people, their their trauma response is to not take a position on anything right so Mm -hmm. it's like so some people will say like well you know the peacemaker or something well look at them they're so great that's grace it's like but that's that's also not grace like we have to we you know just because you don't want to deal with it or you don't want to take a position that that's not really grace right that's that's also um, detrimental yeah it's also detrimental so we all have to kind of look at what are what are our ways that we you know, responded to our traumas and our woundings that keep us safe that we think keep us safe. Um, and how can we heal those and integrate those and be seen in those those traumas. And then that helped me get to a place where I, I don't go there as much, actually. And one of the things I talk about in the book is that you should always ask yourself, what am I not seeing?
1: Mm, what great could percent. I be
0: wrong here? Am I not being aware of the fact that, again, my brain is working against me seeing things clearly. The bubble that I live in is working against me seeing things differently than I see it. And that while I can be totally certain about certain things like racism is wrong, misogyny is wrong. Right. These things are wrong. I'm not saying that there's a gray area about that. Um, What I can't be completely certain about is who somebody is because of who they voted for.
1: Mm-hmm. What yeah. you know?
0: What I can't be completely certain about is people, and so you can, and so having to just step back and say, "Is there something that I'm not seeing here?" And I have to actually say to myself, "Like you actually don't know everything," which is like a shock to my system
1: because <laughs> I'm an eight, so I have
0: lived my entire Most life things. believing, <laughs> yeah, I'm be- believing that I was right about everything, and so. Yeah. Um, and, and just and creating that kind of space. The other way I define grace is, it's basically allowing other
2: people to not be you. Yeah, Oh, that's, that's a great definition.
0: Yeah, and so to, to, when I think about it that way, it's sort of creating space between me and another person and, and practicing non-judgment. So where mm-hmm. I can say, okay, I, I really disagree with that and I think it's really problematic, but I'm not gonna go the extra step of judging and even, even if it's just in my head, right, yeah. of, of judging and putting down and all those other things because, A, I'm not really going to be open to hearing anything, mm-hmm. and B, I'm now completely intertwined with this person.
2: Yeah. Once it's you start judging. Consumed it's with like, it. it's with inside of you now. Yeah, yeah. It's
0: like they're like living in your head rent-free, you're like mm-hmm. all, in, you know, versus just recognize it, seeing it, and going, you know, maybe I'm a note of that. and that's. You know, I may even be a no to being in relationship with that person, but still recognizing the possibilities there. Still recognizing that this is a person. It's um, so honoring you know, their humanity. Yeah, honoring their humanity, and and but just saying like this is not, you know, and 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 if necessary, actually saying, I, I think what you just said is is harmful, mm. and uh, you know, and so so, but doing it from a position of grace. Yeah. So yeah. that's where people will come back and say, and it's already it happened to me because the book's kind of, you know, out there being promoted. Right. If I say something that people don't agree with, they're like, well, you're not having grace, you know, because you're saying something very like what they consider harsh because I'm naming something as a problem. It's like, but that's not not grace. Like it's not even, that's just a category mistake. Um, it's now if mm. I'm like, I think this and everybody who disagrees with me is a horrible human being with no morals. Okay, now I'm not being graceful. (laughs) So, you know, that that's the difference. And so if we think about people who we think have great had grace in history, you know, Gandhi Mm -hmm. or MLK, uh, nobody would suggest that they weren't saying hard things. Mm -hmm. Right? They, They weren't. Saying really hard things. Um, so it's not about rolling over and being a doormat and not confronting people at all. It's just, it's relying on other things like non judgment, using mm-hmm. boundaries. I have a whole chapter on boundaries, revolutionary, mm-hmm. life changing. <laughs> um, you know, when I want to demonize somebody, I'm like, I'm going to use boundaries.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, yeah.
0: I'm going to go to boundaries. I'm going to stay away from demonizing. And I'm not saying I'm always, I always do this, but. I will say that's what's different for me now is I notice when I'm doing it. Yeah. So when I'm demons, demonizing somebody, usually as it's happening, I'm like, oh, you know, what am I doing? Or afterwards, I'll think about it. Whereas in the past, I was, I, it was all unconscious. I just would do it and I thought nothing of it. I just thought it was totally normal.
2: As you started to do this, have you noticed that it kind of becomes like a muscle? Mm-hmm. Yeah. asked that because a couple of weeks ago, we asked one of our clinicians, like, what was her tip for living centered? And she responded with saying right now in this season, the best thing that's keeping me centered is assuming everybody's doing their best. And she said, like, it's a practice for me. It does not come naturally. I have to stop and think that. And the more I do it, the more second nature it comes and the time between my stop and, it, you know, starting to believe that is getting shorter and shorter, but it's a practice, right?
0: It's absolutely a practice. Yeah. And I think that you, Um, To me, the word I would use is when it happens, it's kind of discordant. It's almost like a clanging Mm. or something where you just kind of go, "Whoa, that's just off. Like something's off. I'm not. Um, And so it's very, very noticeable to me when it happens. But I also think one of the things I had a very hard time writing this book and it took me a couple of years to write it. And I. thought about giving the money back multiple times and I really wrestled and I what I always was joking at the time I was like it broke my brain and and what my fiance kept saying to me is because I kept saying I just want to do this this isn't me like I don't want to have grace like I want to yell at people you know and that's why you need to write the book because somebody who's just naturally predisposed because it's their temperament Uh, To do this, it's it's not the same. Like I'm, you know, anybody who knows about the Enneagram is like, what I do is I speak up for people who are being harmed. Like that's what Enneagram eights do, right? It's like Enneagram eights are naming what's wrong in the culture. They're naming what's wrong in a situation, and so it's it's a real shift. Although, you know, a healthy Enneagram eight actually can do that with. Mm-hmm. yeah right and 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 guess and surprise surprise it's way more effective <laughs> like it turns out calling people homophobes actually doesn't make them support Less your homophobic. view <laughs> yeah like shocking right so it's mm. just so you actually you you actually might change even change somebody's mind i mean that that's the bonus it's very hard to change people's minds but yeah. If you practice grace, if you use the tools of grace, which there's a lot of even social science around, you know, how it's more effective when you're talking to somebody, you instead of just venting and getting out your anger, you may actually help somebody see what you're trying to say.
1: Yeah, I love that. A couple of thoughts, just sort of acknowledging all that you shared that was so good that I saw somebody post something today on social media that's like, I saw something I disagreed with on social media today. and I didn't reply in the comments. I didn't unfollow them. I just like moved on, you know, and I was like, it's so true. (laughs) But somehow, like some personalize these things that these random thoughts that other people have that we see on social media, like they're lobbying them directly at us. And it's our job to (laughs) respond. And I was like, Oh, that's just so true. Like, how do I just let things flow by sometimes and not engage in it? And then um, one of the things I learned listening to John Gottman was him talking about the difference of contempt versus like um, critique and that that he talked about sort of you use the language demonize, but instead of like not that we can correct somebody and say like your your statement is wrong, but we don't have to say you are wrong, you know, and we don't have to make it personal to that person and like shaming of who they are. And that so yes. often, I think in our language, we don't hear the nuance and the difference between those two things. So saying mm-hmm. like, I disagree with that doesn't necessarily mean I disagree with you or I can't be in agreement with you as a person. It, you know, it's like we can mm-hmm. react to things that people are saying, but not. Yeah.
0: Not Although we have to be him. honest, we also sometimes will not be able totally. to that person. And so I think that's where it comes into um, you know, seeing the humanity in them, seeing the possibilities in them, recognizing that they're doing the best they can, that all these things, right? And so and, and just not judging them and yeah. not demonizing them. Um, sometimes that is what grace will look like. It won't you, you know, and whereas I think a lot of times people think grace means sweetness and light. And I'm going to just, mm-hmm. you know, whatever people want, I'm just going to go along with it and I'm just going to love them no matter what. You know, Richard Rourke always says, like, loving is not liking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very different kind of the kind of love when Jesus, you know, was telling you to love your enemies was not the love of loving you love chocolate or your best friend. It's a different kind of love. And it is the love that recognizes the humanity in other people mm-hmm. and the possibilities in other people. And so I think being clear about that, but you raised actually something that I think is maybe the biggest thing next to the definition of grace that trips people up yeah. is the what what judging is. So when mm-hmm. I say non-judgment, people will say, well you have to judge things. You have to make judgments. It's like, yes, you have to make judgments, but you don't have to be judgmental. Mm-hmm. And What's that's that distinction? the difference. Yeah. So a judgment is it doesn't have an emotional charge with it. It's discernment. It's it's mm-hmm. basically you're seeing something, you're clear about it. But it doesn't have that extra step of contempt, hatred, judgment, all of these other things. And when you feel that emotional charge, that's when you know something's going on. Yeah. Uh, and that's how what I started to recognize in me yeah. was that I wasn't just being discerning. I just wasn't I wasn't just being clear. I was actually like taking on a lot of stuff and just and feeling total contempt for people and hatred, just hatred. Yeah. And for me, I think what also pulled me back was that I do have these spiritual views and i just Mm -hmm. was like this is not aligned (laughs) what is happening in my head is not aligned with what i say i believe Mm -hmm. and um
2: was i loving my enemies in any possible way it doesn't mean relationship right i think that's what i'm hearing you say is that loving doesn't mean i'm in relationship with you it doesn't mean that i'm you know uh constantly bearing my soul to you or anything i can love you from a distance and and not judge you and then take that on and yeah. let it mess me up right yeah exactly
0: yeah. exactly no we're not in any way forced to be in relationships with people now some people are really called to that right yeah some people are really called to being bridge builders and they mm-hmm. they enter into relationships with people who hold radically different views and they're able to they have the emotional capacity for that um, yeah. they're good at it i think it's a really important role for people and yeah. so i I think if you are that kind of person, then absolutely do that. But everyone's not a bridge builder. Everyone doesn't yeah. feel called to it and everyone doesn't have the emotional capacity to deal with it. Uh, and so we shouldn't say to people that you have to do that, that you have right. to be in relationship with people who uh, hold views that, that you find harmful and may even be harmful to you specifically. Yeah, right. But it, it's more if, if people need to be motivated not by other people or our, what's best for our society, if you just were purely self-motivated,
2: yeah, this is
0: better for you. Yeah. <laughs> this will make your life a million times better. If, you, Like I said, if you choose to use boundaries, clear boundaries with somebody yeah. versus demonizing and holding them in contempt and all those other things, like your life will be a million times better. I, I know because I did it.
2: Hey friends, I'm just popping in to talk to you a little bit about relationships. Let's be honest, relationships are kind of difficult, and I feel like in this post-pandemic world, they're even more complicated. Around here, we say we're hardwired for connection, but we often feel so disconnected. Community can feel so frustrating. So if you find yourself today asking hard questions about community, I want to tell you that you're in the right place. Last month, we launched a brand new emotional wellness masterclass called Building Healthy Community. How to combat loneliness and build relationships that matter. Throughout the month of October, we offered this class for $40 off. And the deal ended today. But I felt like if you're listening to this podcast today, maybe, just maybe, you need this class. So we're extending the offer just to our podcast listeners. You can head to onsiteworkshops.com community to learn more. And when you use the code podcast at the checkout, you'll still get $40 off. We hope that this resource equips you and meets you where you're at this season. All right, now back to this incredible interview. Have you had examples in your own life where you have leaned into this concept of grace and had hard conversations and held people accountable? Or I think earlier in the conversation you said, no, but I can say to you what you said was actually really harmful. Do you have some examples of like when you did it before, when you're doing it now, what that looks like?
0: Well, I think I do it in my job a lot. Right, I say
2: things that make
0: people really angry and uh, I just did it on Twitter a couple days ago and I'm still getting, you know, the Mm. really horrible, horrible emails and all the other things. So I I feel like I do it in that context, you know, but I was dealing with it more at work. Uh, And so where I was going on air with people that I was just like, I just, I couldn't even pretend that I wanted to even talk to them or ask about their families or any of those things, I just didn't even want to be near them. Um, And so when I started using boundaries, basically, what I would do is I would just a lot of times we're in the green room before we go on would be some of the worst stuff like they would be talking Mm -hmm. to me and I uh, and so the thing that I kind of came up for me, which was my boundary, is I would say, I don't talk about this unless I'm on
2: the clock. Mm
0: -hmm. So unless I'm unless there's a camera on we're not discussing politics
2: i like that you scripted it so that when you got in the moment you had you knew what you were going to say and so you didn't get baited because i would get baited I would be yeah
0: like, the thing that i use in, in the book and that really i always go back to is you know don't throw your pearls before swine and mm-hmm. what that means is not that people who disagree with you are swine. What it means is that a pig, if you put pearls in front of a pig or you put a pile of dirt in front of a pig, it doesn't make any difference. They're just gonna they're just gonna trample over them yeah. and they're gonna destroy them. And so when you are talking to a person who can't receive what you have to say, like this, these people who are talking to me didn't wanna hear what I had to say. Yeah. They wanted to just tell me, you know, what I was supposed to believe. And if you, can, if you can discern that the person can't receive what you're going to say, then at that point, you just shouldn't say anything. Mm. And what I say is like, figure out what your no is and then figure out what your yes is. And so if you're a no to this, then your yes can be giving money to an organization. Your yes can be volunteering uh, to help, whether it's in politics or you know a nonprofit. Your yes can look a lot of different ways that is very constructive, that doesn't look like you arguing with a person who's not listening to you. Yeah. and who's probably gaslighting you and isn't mm-hmm. going to change their mind. Yeah. And so people have have to figure that out and then the next step is and I and I go into this into the book is yeah. what are the ways if you have identified that you have a person that you, that you think can have that conversation and actually listen to you what are the ways you can talk to them that they can hear.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's not bombarding them with factoids it's not telling them that you know they don't know what they're talking about and they're stupid and all these other things you know how do you approach that person and so i think to become familiar with these ways of talking to people that 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 may actually change their mind and if they don't change their mind at least they see you and they hear you and i think that 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 is also important mm-hmm. um but but that over time they may open themselves up to hear what you're saying
1: yeah, yeah. That's great. And, and some of those practices would be, I imagine, like asking them questions and and engaging with sort of how they got well, there, learning more about their story.
0: Yeah, well, so interestingly, one of the biggest things, which, which is kind of new, is don't use facts. Uh, so okay. because we're in a post-fact world, and so the minute you bring up facts, the person will say, well, where did you get that? And you'll
1: say, well, the New York Times, and they'll go, well, that's fake news. Mm. Conversation's over. I'm so glad you went here. So I wanted to talk about that post fact, post truth. Yeah,
0: and so and it goes the other way. Like someone says, "Well, I saw Fox News that this on the other thing," or "I saw on this conservative podcast," and the person's going to go, "Are you serious?" Like I'm not taking that as a fact. So, so you have to. What they what now the social science shows is what you need to do is you need to share stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm. let me tell you the story about my gay friend who's, a, you know, who has been discriminated against in his job. And let me tell you about my friend whose parents are undocumented immigrants. So, you know, or my friend whose grandparents were deported. Right. You know, so so to, to because people actually believe that, you know, at least. You know, and it's even better if you can talk about yourself because yeah. people believe that you at least, you do know your own experience. Yeah, And so one of the things they've found with um, political canvassing, typically in political canvassing, you go out and you've got a list and you're like, hi, I'm here to tell you about all the reasons you should support this initiative. What deep canvassing does, which is a new way of political canvassing is they have a person go out, um, what, Say they're talking about uh, immigration. They have somebody who has isn't maybe was an undocumented immigrant or has family that's undo- undocumented. Um, they're going if it's dealing with transgender rights. They have a transgender person go out mm. and say, "Hey, hi, uh, this is on the ballot," and um, and ask questions. They start out asking questions and they ask them how they feel about it. And then, the, then they might say, well, I'm actually transgender. Can I share a little bit about my experience? And what they found was people who were absolutely opposed to supporting transgender rights actually ended up supporting it after hearing the person's story. Wow. That's
2: fascinating.
0: Yeah. So it's it's listening. It's mm-hmm. asking people questions. It's not making assumptions about people. It's having curiosity. It's not going in and, and, and saying, well, you just think that because you watched this program or you just think that because your husband thinks that or all these other things that people say it's actually asking them why, why do you think this mm-hmm. like what 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 makes you think this and then something that i think is really helpful because i think one of the big what we hear about the most i think are people whose parents right they're trying to talk to their parents yeah, totally and maybe the parent and the parents are talking to the kids or so you sort of hear it from both sides rather than saying you know mom, I can't believe that you're so intolerant or whatever. Maybe say, Hey, mom, when I was growing up, you always taught me to do unto others, you know, as I do to myself and to care for the least among us. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so when I hear you talking about immigration this way, or undocumented immigrants, I can't align it with the woman that I know, who is so loving and so giving Mm -hmm. and so devoted to her community. And I just I don't understand like, I, I don't I can't make sense of that. Can you help me make sense of that? Right. So it's, it's reminding people of who they are Mm -hmm. and, 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 and approaching it in that way where you're, where you're recognizing what's good in them. Because also when you start listing facts, just think about how you would feel if somebody came up to you and started telling you, yeah, yeah, they're basically saying that only they have facts and you don't, and that Mm -hmm. you, you don't even know what you're talking about. And you just, you know, which which unfortunately is probably true, just because yeah. most of us don't make our decisions off of facts, which is also the social science they talk about. <laughs> we think that we do, but actually yeah. most of us make up our minds and then we find all the reasons to support it. So, yeah. you know, being recognizing that that, you know, a lot of times people have just decided this is what they believe and they don't actually really know why they believe it. And so having grace for that as well when you're pro- approaching people
1: yeah that's really helpful i feel like i i am surrounded by a lot of people that think really differently than i am and Mm -hmm. a lot of times they'll try to engage me in the fact conversation and i notice how i shut down because i'm like that's so different than the facts i'm reading and i don't feel confident enough in the facts because i've just read them you know to be able to engage it so really leaning into a personal narrative or telling a story about somebody else I know and why that that shape my opinion feels like such a more fruitful way to engage. And even if I don't change their mind, you know, I'm, I'm deepening, they're deepening their understanding of how I've landed where I've landed on things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and also thinking of these conversations as conversations and not
0: yeah. arguments, right? And, and, yes. and that the goal is not to win. It's to deepen mm-hmm. understanding And if people would approach things like that with, like I said, with curiosity of, well, maybe this person does know something I don't know, and I'm going to listen and I'm going to try to understand a different perspective. But so often it's just, we're just trying to win. We just want to prove that we're right and prove the other person's wrong. And, you know, and that's, that's the end of the conversation. And so I do think grace creates this space. You know, if you just, if you're coming in with that framework, and looking at that person through the lens of grace and remembering all these things about, you know, they're doing the best they can and and these kinds of things. I think you you end up having a very different kind of conversation.
2: Yeah, I think um, in my life, when someone comes at me with the facts, I like get overwhelmed and start to feel insecure. And I can almost feel myself like drop into my reptile brain and just come out swinging. Like I'm not thinking I'm not being logical. I'm just like, Oh no. And I'm scrambling. Um, And so one of the things that I've started to do in these types of conversations is shift from being aggressive to being assertive. Like I'm just going to be assertive and assertive means I want to tell you A little bit about my perspective and why this matters to me so that you can understand me more, not so that you can change your mind. Because if I just come at you with aggression, it is. It's to win the argument, but no one actually wins in that. My relationship is worse off, and I'm not like – I don't feel good after I've won an argument like that, quote, unquote, won. I feel icky. So that's really interesting. I think it's an invitation, Um, and it does change. Everything changes when it's someone you know. And I, I hate that that's the truth, but it is when we can put a face to something, it becomes yeah. a lot more relatable and we can have empathy. Yeah.
0: Well, and another thing I, I don't want, I don't want to make sure that I mention is that, you know, yeah. part of having grace also is having grace for yourself. And mm, so, yeah. um, you know, sometimes, unfortunately there are circumstances where people have to break off relationships yeah. Um, yeah. for their own emotional safety. And that's, that's not grace. You know I had to break off a relationship with somebody that i that i I love I still love I, mm-hmm. not break off i had I paused it. it's been paused for a while. I have hopes yeah. that it will will re- reconnect, but I still love this person. I want the best for this person. I uh, want things to be different, all of those things it's not but but for my emotional safety, uh, you know or it's not so much I wasn't so much unsafe, I guess, but just. Mm-hmm. For emotional health really yeah. um I, I needed to do this and for some people it really is about safety um yeah but it know. doesn't have to be it could just be your emotional health but unfortunately people weaponize grace a lot of times and they weaponize yeah. it to say you need to just let me do what i want to do and say what i want to do and get away with it and not be accountable for anything and that's that's just an abuse it's an abuse yeah. of the idea so i think you know and i think even in the evangelical christian paradigm you know the argument always the that is is that yes, you have God's grace, but also um you have some responsibility for the way that you behave. Like I don't think even that they would say that you don't. Right. So it's interesting right, right. that when it comes to in real life, it's like oh, it's just everyone should just give me grace for There's still kind of yeah, things I say, and I'm being an offensive and all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, what? Where did you get that idea? Like that's yeah. not. I you know. I, I,
1: I had to relearn the like meaning of forgiveness, too. So maybe you can yeah. write your next book on that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but it's like letting it go and letting people move on. But it doesn't mean that I have to still be in relationship with somebody. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. It's not reconciliation. It's, yep.
0: you know, it can lead to reconciliation, but it doesn't have to. It's, yeah. And so it's, the grace isn't letting people get away with things. It's just being clear about where they are and where you are and what that relationship is, and that and not taking on all of their stuff basically by judging them and all these other things. So, but be, you know, people should be prepared that unhealthy people, unwell people, will weaponize mm-hmm. this. Uh, they yeah. will claim that you're doing something to them that you shouldn't be doing. But it's, um, you know, that's not that's not accurate.
1: I feel like you've got such a unique vantage point uh, just in culture. And I'd love to hear you just speak to how, how are you feeling about where the world is right now? Um, <laughs> it, do, do you feel like, like, what do you feel like is on the horizon of where we're headed? Um, I know that we can sort of embrace this idea of grace for ourselves and let that be transformative and that can help shape it. But what, what else are you seeing right now? I'm just curious.
0: I think we're in very bad shape. I hope this book can help in some small way. Yeah, it's just alarming at what's happening in the country and the disconnect between really different groups of people who just absolutely mm-hmm. do not say, see the same reality. Uh, you know, it's just it's extremely scary. And so I feel like the only thing I have control over really is myself. Yep, and mm-hmm. to try to stay as grounded as I can to you know and. Uh, and for me, this has been incredibly grounding. Like practicing grace has been incredibly grounding, and yeah. um, and also look, look if you're in a, if you want to practice grace, you also you have to take care of yourself. You have to get enough sleep. You have to mm. exercise. You have to eat well. Like a person who's on the edge, who's never exercising and not sleeping, it's very hard to have this the emotional capacity to then be extending grace to a lot of people because you're just too on edge and you're too agitated. But I think most people, Mm -hmm. um, you you just really you have to start with yourself, and you have to start having grace for yourself. Which I did not have. I had the nastiest inner critic you could imagine, um, who I can now say I basically never hear. Mm. It's it's very it'd be very similar to when I'm judging somebody. It's very noticeable when it happens. I'm just like, what is Mm -hmm. that? Because if you you can't have grace for yourself then you can't have grace for other people. Yeah. You're just, you're just going to project all that onto other people. And so, you know, and the more we also can understand that a lot of times when people are being really nasty to you, that they're just projecting their pain onto you. Mm-hmm. And you don't yeah. have to take it personally. You can look at it and say, that person isn't in a lot of pain. And that's really sad. Now, yeah. if they're harming somebody, they need to be held accountable. Yeah. So it doesn't. That doesn't mean they're off the hook necessarily, but a lot of times they're just hurting your feelings. They're not necessarily, you know, harming. you. Yeah. But taking care of myself, learning to have grace for myself, was absolutely the the very first step. And staying off of social media, <laughs> for, you know, it, it was one of the first things that I did. Yeah. I got off of Twitter. I got off of. I never really was on Facebook in the first place, but I was on yeah. uh, mostly Twitter and Instagram. And I took a fast from them. And and now I'm hardly on them. And so I would say for people who are thinking about going home for Thanksgiving, what the first thing I would say is like, just delete all the apps. Do not be on social media leading up to when you go to see your family that you're going to argue with, because I can tell you that is just going to get you amped up. And the closer you get to the holidays, the worse it's going to be. And so, you know, be very aware of what you're taking in. And that it's none of it's benign. None of it yeah. is neutral. It's not neutral. It is amping you up. It is meant to amp you up.
2: And, and I like how so, you wrote in the book that it's such a small sample size. Like when you you broke down, like actually who you oh, were yeah. seeing on Twitter was such a small sample size of social media users and then a smaller sample size of, you know, the people who yeah. are actually being shown, and a small sample size of people who agreed or disagreed with you and the loudest voices, and it just is. It wasn't everyone. You're not getting everyone's opinion.
0: It's not representative of, of how people no, are yeah. or who or how people think. Um, and and I think that you need to you need to remember that. And you need to, the one of the the one of the ways that you can depolarize is mm-hmm. if you can think of even one person you know. Um, and there's studies that have been done that show this. If you can think of just yeah. one person that you know who you like, but who's thinks differently than you do is a different political party supports a different person or or whatever it is. But you like them, you know, despite this, like, um, doesn't have to be a close friend, it could just be somebody that is a neighbor, you see occasionally or the person your dry cleaner or whatever it is, when they ask people to think about that, they immediately depolarize. So it's very easy to talk in the abstract about people. But when you then think about a person, you know, and this has happened to me when I, I, I talking about vaccines, almost everybody I know got vaccinated, but I have one friend who didn't and who is um, she's she's a she's into natural healing and all that kind of stuff. And she doesn't she never she didn't like vaccines before. And um, it's something we disagree about. But when I think about her, I don't feel the rage and contempt. Right. And so you just have to you have to always bring it back to an actual person. And mm. so for me, this was my journey and then also helping people see there are practical things you can do yeah. that are going to help you get there. And let's be honest, if we just do like 50% better, we'll be a million yeah. times better off. It's like, you don't yeah. even have to, you don't have to always have grace. You don't have to always not judge people. You don't have to, that's not going to happen. Mm. But if you make that your lodestar, star, like if I'm always trying to hit that. i'm always trying to move in that direction that i'm doing a million times better than i was when i wasn't trying when i was just like perfectly happy or i wasn't happy but i was you know i wasn't challenging the idea that being rage filled and filled with hatred all the time was bad for me despite the fact that i had chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia Mm -hmm. and depression and anxiety all things i don't have anymore
1: (laughs) so great yeah
0: yeah it's like um and so that that's what I I, you know, I say that in the book. It's like look, look listen to your body. What is your body doing after you've been on Facebook? Yeah. Like have you noticed that your neck hurts or that your jaw hurts or Mm. all these things that are happening or you feel mad or you feel kind of agitated. That's not an accident. I mean, we look at what's happening in the news right now with this Facebook mm-hmm. whistleblower. It's not an accident. They're intentionally doing that to you. Yeah. They're intentionally highlighting the most incendiary, most divisive information yeah. uh, and making sure that everybody sees it. It's, it's not a benign place to go. It's not a neutral place to go. It is a place that is meant mm-hmm. to get you riled up. It is meant to make you angry. It is meant to make you hate other people. 100%. Yeah. And so and it is designed if you're on your phone to lock your brain into it. And so you just scroll. and you can't stop. You can't stop. Mm-hmm. You feel disgusting. And you feel gross. And you're still scrolling. Right? Yeah. So I suggest setting a timer. You know, I'm only going to allow myself to be on for five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever it is. And yeah, you know, for me, what happened is I just stopped wanting to do it. Yeah. I eventually just was like, "This is just
2: highly
1: problematic." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, totally. you go on, you're not like, feeling more connected
2: to people. Yeah, I yeah. feel disconnected from myself and others. Yes, yeah.
0: So I like Instagram. Yeah, you yes. Know. Um, uh, you know, it's I follow my friends and it's fine. But when I every time I go on Twitter, I just I feel dirty. I <laughs> like I just I'm just like wow, there are a lot of people that need to be in therapy here. Yes, that would be better off. Like discussing this with their therapist, then yeah. you know I co you know Courtney Lee. Yes, um, we love Courtney. So I interviewed her for the book. She was kind of like the official therapist of the book. Yeah, and uh, so, so for people who don't know, she's a she's a therapist who does work at on site, and she's yeah. incredible. We love her, and she says, you know your your behavior and the time spent on social media should be proportionate to your mental health. Hmm. And, and that she just so often goes on there and sees people and says this. You should be talking to a therapist right now. You should not yeah, be saying yeah. this in public. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are other yeah, ways to communicate, so, right? Yeah. There are other places to get the cell process. Yeah,
0: right. And um, and like one of the things that I thought of when I first when I and I had the mortification of going back, you know, everything I've stupid I've done. Uh, yeah. is it's on the Internet. Like, I said it on TV, or I tweeted it, or I wrote it in a column, documented like, forever. No getting away from it. Yeah. yeah. And the, just the shame and the horror of looking at it. And one of the things I thought was, I'm a grown up, mm. like, I am a full grown person on the internet, <laughs> acting like a teenager. Yeah. And I don't even want my teenage nieces don't even act like this. So I don't even mm. want to insult teenagers. Yeah. You know, it's just like, it's, it's just, it's so, it's so immature. The, the behavior was just so immature and, and you just see that all the time. And, and even people, you know, and you like, and you're like, what are you doing?
2: Yeah. What are you doing? Mm, yeah. I think you mentioned on our last uh, episode with you that it's so many people who are having a trauma response right in front of everyone. <laughs> yeah. And so you're just watching. that was me too. Yes. Yeah. I think about that a lot. Yeah. Well, Kirsten, as we kind of round this out, I'm just so grateful that you wrote this book, that you poured your heart and soul and your mind into it, that it broke your brain, because I think it is so necessary (laughs) for this season that we're in. And I think it's necessary for us on an individual level and a collective societal level. So thank you for sharing all these very practical ways that we can Mm. engage in grace um, with accountability. And so thanks so much for showing up with us today and sharing a little bit of your story. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for existing. Well, you guys, appreciate like, it. Totally changed my
0: life. So mm-hmm. I'll always be grateful.
1: Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call one 800 341 seven four three two or visit onsiteworkshops.com.